millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, the impact of a potential MLS lockout on TV, CBS and ESPN bid for US rights to Serie A, Americans are heading to Europe in droves, news about ESPN Plus adding a new soccer documentary, plus we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host Kartik Krishnayer. Kartik, um, for anyone that's new to this podcast, this is a deep dive into talking about watching soccer on television uh, and apps and, and online. But oftentimes there's um, incidents or things that are happening in the game that have a direct impact on our viewing experience. And, and that's where we'll start off this week is because the, our topic of the week is talking about the impact of a potential Major League Soccer lockout on TV. Now, we're recording this on Wednesday night. Uh, MLS has set a deadline, an artificial deadline of Thursday, February 4th, for the MLS Players Association to come back. And uh, I'm sure MLS is hoping that they can have the deal all signed for the, the 2021 season that kicks off on April 3rd. Se- uh, preseason starts February 22nd. Everything's rosy, right, Kartik? Uh, no problems at all? <laughs> uh, no. Obviously, uh, there are extenuating circumstances because of COVID and the, and the collective bargaining agreement in, in Major League Soccer. There's a, there's a lot to unpack here because obviously you've got a situation where the p- public relations has pivoted against MLS owners pretty dramatically. And we've seen in past CBA negotiations, uh, because of kind of the conformist nature of a lot of American soccer fans uh, and, and the fear mongering that's gone on for years, the sport will disappear completely from your television screens and be gone. Uh, people have taken people who are otherwise pro labor or very kind of progressive in their worldview have taken management side, not seeing that this time, Although I have to say, you know, one of the things that I, I'm hearing from the – and let's, let's, let's think about this from a television perspective. One of the things I'm hearing uh, from very informed speculation – we'll put it that way. There's sources kind of in and around the league – is that if there is a lockout and the season has to be postponed, that's no sweat off the back of MLS owners. They would like, if possible – 
I mean, they'd, they'd like it possible to kick off on April 3rd, but if they can't, um, they would like to play and reopen when uh, the vaccine is more widely distributed and they can have a fuller stadium. So they actually are playing, and this is something I hadn't thought about when this showdown began uh, a month or two ago, they actually have in some ways some incentive maybe to lock out the players and, and, and push the season back, uh, which I guess when you think about it in the context of COVID makes a little bit of sense. The, the same thing happened to me too, like this past few days, Kantik, I was thinking about this more and I was thinking like, well, maybe actually Major League Soccer and their owners actually want this to happen, to have a lockout. Uh, MLS has said that uh, even if there is a lockout, they will continue to pay the health insurance of the players. But I would imagine in terms of their salaries, I mean, the players wouldn't get paid. And then the Players Association has a, a strike fund, essentially, um, kind of some cash available to go ahead and pay um, the players um, as you mean in this situation if they do go into a lockout. And, and it is one of those things that uh, I just wonder in terms of the leverage here. Uh, the last two CBA negotiations, one would have been last year, but it wasn't ratified. But the one before that, I thought in those both both those instances, uh, Major League Soccer's Players Association should have had the leverage and should have pushed harder to go ahead and try to to get more make more demands. And if anything, they kind of um, kind of backpedaled it a little bit and didn't uh, come, uh, come off as a strong. In this case, though, Kartik, I think that Major League Soccer. I mean, the, the, like you said, right? There's hardly any fans being allowed into stadiums. Uh, if the season is delayed. Um, you mean after last year, with it being just a financial um, disaster? I mean, MLS saying that they lost a uh, uh, billion dollars in revenue potentially. Um, it is one of those things. I, I just wonder if Major League Soccer has the leverage in, in this instance. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think they might. And uh, go, going back, I agree with what you said. Twenty fifteen CBA, and then last year's, the players I thought didn't play their hand as well as they could have. I would say the one where they really caved was in 2010 when um, everything was geared up, everything was, was teed up for them. And in fact, they, 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 they did that at a point where um, the game had really, remember we had that, that quote summer of soccer in 2009 and Seattle had come into the league, with, which, which took uh, uh, MLS to a new level. They had just uh, brought in, accepted Portland and uh, Vancouver, who were lower division teams, as a as as new MLS teams to start in 2011, and and Montreal, who uh, I was working for NASL at the time, Montreal was one of our teams. They were about to be let in as well, um, and the players caved. And then in 2015, when free agency was on the table, they basically caved. Uh, so, I, um, I I I don't have much faith in this players' union. However. I guess the difference is public opinion, which was very much split in 2015. I, I know there were uh, some some former players in the media, uh, like uh, Taylor Twelman, who were very, uh, very much uh, very vocal, uh, uh, right? Very vocal in, yeah. in support of the players. But there were others who were former players who were in the media. Who I'm going to leave them nameless, but you can imagine who they were. Who were backing management. <laughs> And backing the owners, right? Right. Um, and uh, now I don't see anyone out there backing the owners very vocally. And fan bases have turned against the owners. Yet I think it might be in the best interest 
Whereas in, in 15, as you mentioned, in 10, I, I've mentioned in 15, you're, you're absolutely right. If the players had said, lock, uh, we're, we're striking. And by the way, when they did strike, uh, when, they, when they voted to ratify the CBA, the vote among player reps, there were 20 teams in MLS at the time, was 13 to 7. So there were still seven player reps who at that point said, let's not, um, let, 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 let's not play, let's strike. Um, MLS was starting a new television contract, the current contract, right, where they got exponentially more money in this 15 to 22 period than they did in their previous contract. So the CBA coincided with the start of the new contract and the launching of two new teams, Orlando and New York City FC, both of whom had, well, particularly Orlando, had a huge following. So the leverage was there to strike wipe out Orlando's opening day, wipe out New York City FC's opening day, and wipe out the beginning of the television contract. They didn't use that leverage, and they caved, 13 of the 20 player reps. Now, it's if they, if they do... Um, if they do take it to the brink and don't back down the players, you're in a position where you might be actually helping the owners, as you said, because I, I'm thinking the owners probably don't want to really kick off until June. I, I should point out, uh, uh, USL has already pushed, and USL season started in March last season. Um, ML, MLS started in February. USL's already pushed back their season to May. Um, and they don't have uh, this labor dispute going on. It's just a practical reality for leagues that are dependent on in-person attendance and, and, and all this uh, revenue associated with game day uh, that uh, until you have a vaccine widely distributed, it's probably best not to play that many games. So um, this is where I think the owners have some leverage this time. And and this is where we are. We are. It keeps on coming back to that TV deal. That TV deal that they signed, um, like, like you said, in 2015, when they were really, really excited by by it. As and it was a massive deal, um, at more six years or more. And, and as each year goes by, um, that number seems to get be getting smaller and smaller. It, it's the same number every year. It's just that uh, other rights have sold for much uh, greater uh, numbers. And MLS is counting on that TV revenue more than ever, especially now with uh, with no fans in the stadium or very few fans in the stadium. So it's more important than ever for Major League Soccer to, um, when they, they get ready for this next TV deal, it does end next year. And uh, we've been talking about this deal for like what a few years already, but it ends next year. Negotiations will probably start later, the, later this year. Uh, discussions have already started for sure. But I wrote down some notes uh, for myself as far as some of the the reasons why this decision by MLS, if they do decide to go ahead and lock out the players and do the lockout, uh, what it would cause. And number one is the, the damage, which you've mentioned already, Kartik, but the damaging the relationship with the fans and, and causing some of those fans, even the diehard fans, to just quit the league and say, hey, enough's enough. This is ridiculous. MLS is uh, stalling. They're just trying to be greedy. They're just trying to get as much money um, uh, in their own pockets rather than the players' pockets. And I can predict for sure, and, and I've heard this from many people, if a lockout does happen, that's it. That's the last straw for some MLS fans. They say, okay, that's it. We're not watching the league anymore. The challenge with that, Kartik, is that damaging the relationship with the fans – I honestly think that Major League Soccer doesn't really care about that. They care only about the bottom line. They care only about the revenue. They care only about the sponsorships and those deals. And the fans, 
they have not a lot of time for and not a lot of uh, uh, it's not in their top priority list of, of, of uh, keeping them happy. So that, that's my first point. The second point is that uh, if this lockout does happen, it gives Major League Soccer a black eye when it comes to the current MLS TV deal that expires at the end of next year. Uh, we've seen the TV ratings from last year uh, still a pretty plateau or dropped for some, up for others, but pretty much haven't really uh, gone up much at all. And it must cause a rift, I would imagine, with the TV companies if uh, a lockout does happen. ESPN, uh, Fox Sports, Univision won't have those games to broadcast on television. They paid a lot of money for that. So that it could cause some friction there, uh, especially when there's going to be discussions and talks about uh, the next TV deal. And uh, so I don't think that uh, the TV companies, the TV networks are going to be too happy with MLS about that. Third of all, basically because of these two different reasons, um, it may cause a TV ratings dip if and when the season starts up. So, I mean, the season is scheduled to start April 3rd as of right now. Uh, if it is delayed... Um, it maybe it becomes May, maybe it can, becomes June, whatever that date is, some fans will give up. And I think it's going to have a detrimental impact on those TV ratings, which are very, very important for Major League Soccer in trying to sell the next TV deal and trying to say, hey, MLS is doing great. Look at these numbers. You um, I mean, c- come on and you know, kind of uh, you know, acquire the rights to this league and this growing league with a passionate fan base. I, th- I think all of these things together uh, really, really hurt Major League Soccer, and and it, it could, this could have a really disastrous uh, impact on the league moving forward uh, if they decide to push hard and and force the lockout. Context, did, did I miss anything? Any other points that you kind of think in terms of uh, how this would uh, detrimentally impact or positively impact the uh, the TV situation? Yeah, so I th- I think. The uh, uh, the TV situation is is what it is, right? I, I think the ratings have kind of plateaued and and and, and they're stagnant. The, uh, the 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 more interesting question now is how does it affect that next negotiation? Again, I don't think it'll be as damaging as that 2015 we talked about because they were starting the new contract TV deal, uh, which they got exponentially more for than the previous deal the same year as the CBA was up. However, now in hindsight, we thought it was, it was pretty shrewd uh, of commissioner Garber and, um, and, 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 uh, and, and uh, deputy commissioner Abbott and, and MLS to lock in the media companies until 2022, which is of course a world cup year and a year that we assumed that the U S uh, would qualify for the world cup. This happened before the U S missed the 2018 world cup, which no one anticipated at the time. Um, but what, as, as it ter- turns out, it, it, it has been as I think they missed an opportunity. And it's, it, it's having such a long contract has probably been disastrous. One, you mentioned that they had uh, that that we've seen that that rights deal is not exceptional anymore for its value for soccer. We've seen rights deals negotiated since that have had been at uh, higher values or had, have morphed that that rights deal. Secondly, I think MLS never got to take advantage of Atlanta United. So 
if they had had a deal, let's say, that ran 15 to 18 and had a renegotiation starting in 19, and again, in 2015, in, in late 2014, early 2015, when that deal was negotiated, I, I don't think – we knew Atlanta was going to come into the league, right? We knew uh, already they, they, they had already had some, some deposits uh, and they got an, an, a nice run-up. No one anticipated how big a deal that, that club would be in a big market, okay? Because previously MLS – the successes have been in places like Salt Lake City, Orlando, uh, Seattle, Portland, these kind of second-tier markets. Atlanta is a top-10 TV market in the country. It's arguably you know, a top-five, top-six kind of city and perception in the United States. So um, I think they messed up by having such a long TV deal. No one knew, obviously, a pandemic was going to strike. No one anticipated that. But by locking in the, uh, the long-term deal, they never took advantage of it, the Atlanta United bump. And I think the deal, they would have gotten more money in 19, 20, 21, and 22 had they uh, had a four-year deal uh, at that point and then another four-year year rather than this eight-year deal. And now um, they run a risk of uh, of really kind of bottoming out and, 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 and not getting the kind of money they did for those eight years uh, in the future. I mean, the, there are more markets they can offer the television companies now. Obviously, they filled in the map. You've got Nashville on the map now. You've got Charlotte. You've got Austin. Uh, you've got, uh, uh, I mean, Charlotte's a very Miami. TV market. Um, they had already promised Miami, so I don't right. that, even That's though that true. team hadn't started. But they, uh, oh, St. Louis, which is a, a kind of a decent size, smallish, uh, maybe medium sized market. But they uh, uh, don't have, um, uh, Sacramento actually, I think it's a top 20 market, but it's like 19th or 20th. So they're adding that. But I don't think they have quite the leverage they would have had in 2019, 2018, 2019. And, yep. and now, obviously, the pandemic has complicated that further. So I, I think your point, the best, well, you've made some very good points, Chris. I think the, the point that's best taken by you is about this negotiation coming in for that for the deal that would start in 23, because I think they're doing, they've done harm to it. Um, and a lot of it's been out of their hands, the pandemic, the fact that they didn't know Atlanta would be such a big hit, and they didn't really get to take advantage of that from a media rights perspective. Now, I think they, they risk potentially damaging that next deal. Well, Kantik, we're, we're agreeing uh, agreeing a lot in this episode because I also agree with you in terms of just that that length of that MLS TV deal. Is if they did break that up and said, okay, instead of doing su- such a long deal, and they said, okay, maybe th- three years, maybe four years, it also would have coincided, I think, with um, with that uh, Atlanta United in terms of how well they did. But at that time, I'm sure Turner Sports and I'm sure Bleacher Report. Uh, would have been very interested in bidding for Major League Soccer rights. And it was up until about a year ago, I met with uh, Turner Sports. I listened to some of their uh, discussions about Major League Soccer. They were mentioning Major League Soccer as a possibility. And then the pandemic happened. Then there was massive layoffs at uh, Bleacher Report. And and now Turner Sports is out of the soccer game. But uh, if we rewind that back a few years and MLS's TV deal had come up, it's quite conceivable that Turner would have put in a bid for it, especially with Turner also getting the Champions League what, a few years ago. Uh, yes, it ended up being a disaster at the end of the day, but it could have been a good... Uh, compliments to their soccer coverage, to the sports coverage. Now, all of this at the same time that's happening with uh, the lockout discussions and uh, the CBA negotiations back and forth. At the same time, Kartik, there's more and more Americans now heading to play in Europe uh, with very few uh, U.S. stars left in Major League Soccer. 
before this uh, transfer uh, window. You mean most of the discussions on uh, Champions League Tuesdays or Wednesdays on on CBS or Tudo N A would have been about these American stars, and now the interesting thing is in this transfer window we saw a flood of players going on loan to clubs in Europe, and, and a lot of these clubs, Kartik, are not your first division teams; they're your second division teams. And for myself, I mean, being a Swansea City fan for my entire life, I was so happy to to hear about Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola, US stars heading to Wales to play for Swansea City. The reality is Swansea's in a second division league. uh, And the reality is this hurts, but Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola are not going to get starts. They're they're, they're in the depth. So they're either... Jordan Morris is about number two or number three as far as a striker in the depth uh, chart. Uh, Paul Ariola is probably about the same too, about number two and number three in that depth chart. So here here you have American stars going to Europe to play in in a second division team that may not even get that much playing time. Yeah, I I would point out that Ariola can play like nine positions. So I think he becomes (laughs) your James Milner. or, or uh, a player like that, right? I mean, that can play uh, play in a number of places. So he, he and typically, especially in a promotion push, that guy is a, is a really strategic uh, uh, signing. Uh, Morris, I think. Uh, look, I, I've, I've uh, I, I don't know if we discussed this on this show, but uh, last week, I, I know some of uh, I know from talking to agents, some of Jordan Morris's thinking is that uh, obviously, if, if even if he doesn't play as much. Uh, Swansea has some very good wide players and you know, really effective play- players up top, and and uh, uh, he will get a look. He'll get a run out, and if they don't get if they get promoted, great. You know he's he's there for depth on the Premier League side. Uh, if he doesn't get promoted, he can go back to Seattle, but he's been in a window and then can be sold uh, to a European uh, a, a, another European but, club, particularly uh, potentially in a first division but somewhere. What, what does this say? Uh, what, what does this say about Major League Soccer right now? If if some of your top stars, I mean, Daryl DK went to Barnsley. Uh, you had players going into Europe, um, not not again, not your first division sides. Um, but what does that say about Major League Soccer? Why are these players all of a sudden thinking about okay, I, I, I want to be there? Uh, even Fox Sports on the uh, U.S. Men's National Team Trinidad uh, coverage of that game pre-match, they were saying that the, the talk in the U.S. camp uh, before that game, all the players were talking about moves to Europe. All the players were talking about exciting developments. So why is that, Kartik? Is is this tied to the CBA? Is this tied to players thinking, okay, hey, this this season may not happen. I need to go play in Europe. Yeah. yeah yes. In fact, we saw. Um a, a similar situation with the women's national team when their CBA was uh, uh, was was tied up. We saw that was the year that was the, uh, the winter or the, the the January window when Carly Lloyd went on loan to Man City. Alex Morgan went on loan to Leon. She didn't play much at Leon. She quite frankly wasn't good enough to play for that team uh, regularly. And we saw Kristen Press go go over. We saw Crystal Dunn. I think Crystal Dunn. It was prior to that, but uh, go to Chelsea for a little bit and and Heather O'Reilly go to um to arsenal so there there is some precedent for this however i think the other uh factor here now is that um u.s players 
are uh, and so there there are guys like um, like uh, Brendan Aronson who have gone to uh, Red Bull Salzburg, which is a, a great move for him. And yep. uh, Reggie Cannon's gone gone to Bar Vista. That's a great great move, and he he's he's a very exciting young player. Although it seems like uh, the U.S. has a, a lot of guys that play right back, so <laughs> how they're going to get them all on the on the pitch, I don't know. But the guys going to England, DK, uh, you mentioned, you, you mentioned uh, Ariola, Morris, or a couple others also, that is um, a byproduct of Brexit to a certain extent also. I think the CBA plays into it, and then I think it is just now easier to get a work permit. Now, Jordan Morris would have gotten a work permit anyway, right? He has He's played uh, since... Uh, in every major U.S. tournament that they've been in since uh, uh, whenever 15, Gold Cup 15, I guess, or maybe maybe it wasn't Gold Cup 15, but Copa in 16. Uh, for guys like Ariola and DK, DK in the past it would have been more complicated to get a move to England. We've seen guys go want to go from MLS into the championship in the past, Chris, and you remember you remember this, uh, who couldn't get work permits, even if they had a ton of caps for the U.S., because the U.S. wasn't scored as highly. There were there were restrictions from the home office on on uh, on uh, the level of the U.S. And so even when guys wanted to move to, to the likes of Darby County or Southampton or Reading, they didn't necessarily get work permits and they ended up having to go somewhere else on the continent or uh, play in uh, stay in MLS. We saw Juan Agadello couldn't get a work permit recently when he when he moved to Stoke, I ended up getting loaned out and then eventually just came back to MLS. Uh, so now uh, I, I it hasn't been talked about very much, except on, I think the Guardian podcast has, has focused a lot on it. It is much easier for players from North America, mm-hmm. uh, particularly from the U.S., Mexico, and Canada, to get work permits in the U.K. Much more difficult uh, for those championship teams to sign guys from the continent. So if you're yeah. Swansea City, if you're Barnsley, you're now looking at MLS, realizing these guys may also already be uneasy about their, their, their uh, uh, collective bargaining agreement and their contract situation in, in the U.S., and you're going to town. So I'd expect this trend to continue because now it's going to be much easier for American players uh, to move into England in particular um, versus the way it's been prior to this window. It's um, it's a level playing field right now for U.S. Uh, players, U.S. Uh Players from America that want to play in 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 the Premier League or, or the Championship level playing field with with players from Europe. So in the past, yeah. where say an Arsenal would say, okay, we're going to go ahead and scout and, and bring in several French players, um, it was a lot easier when the UK was part of the European Union. And now, and now that they've had the Brexit and they're no longer part of that, um, the American players, it, it is an advantage that they can go ahead and, and try to get scout some of those players and bring those in. Uh, at the same time, as, as well as trying to bring in some players from Europe too, of course, as, as well as around the world. But the thing about this Kartik is that as we see more and more Americans heading to play overseas, and it's not just Europe, but also Liga MX, we've seen also too, it, there's more than 54 Americans playing in Europe right now. And what it's seen, this is another detrimental impact for Major League Soccer, is that there's going to be fewer uh, people interested in watching Major League Soccer. If most of your stars are playing for uh, Dortmund, uh, whether it's uh, Chelsea, uh, Swansea, Bayern Munich, etc., I think you're going to see a lot, a lot more American fans, soccer fans, starting to watch more of those leagues if they're not already doing it. But uh, those that, that weren't probably have more reason to now kind of watch those teams. And that, at the end of the day, has a detrimental impact on Major League Soccer because MLS right now 
is basically a stepping stone. So trying to, to sign players from Central America, South America, young up-and-coming players, um, bring them into the system, at the same time trying to uh, develop players within their academy, and then trying to go ahead and get them to a point where they're ready to be scouted and ready to play uh, in Europe if, if, if a deal can be done. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that is quite a, that's, that's a 180 from what Don Garber said several years ago. Remember when Jurgen Klinsmann uh, said that uh, in order for my U.S. players to progress and, and get better uh, and for the U.S. men's national team to get better, these players need to be playing in Europe. And uh, you mean they shouldn't be playing in Major League Soccer. They should be playing in Europe. And Garber freaked out. And, and actually not too long after that, you started seeing Michael Bradley, Josie Altador, uh, Clint Dempsey, all these American stars that were playing in Europe. Uh, MLS went ahead pretty, pretty, uh, pretty heavy-handed and, and went ahead and offered them major deals, huge money uh, for, for those players at that time to bring them back to Major League Soccer. Now we're back to where we were before, Kartik, where most of your stars are playing in, in Europe, which is a good thing for the national team, right? But for Major League Soccer, as a as a TV viewing spectacle, as a TV viewing product, I'm concerned. I I, I think that this could have a, a damaging effect. Yeah. So um, I would say I would look at it two ways, right? Uh, obviously, the the U.S. The, the the high point of American players in Europe coincided with uh, Bob Bradley's tenure, and he took very few MLS-based players to both. Uh, the Confederations Cup in 2009 and the World Cup in 2010. And then I think that that's kind of what created this counter. And then he was replaced by by Klinsman a year later, this counter reaction where MLS started maybe overpaying for American players and keeping American players like Graham Zussi, who I think could have been a very useful player and really kicked on if he had moved, moved overseas. Uh, Matt Beasler is another one because he was a really good ball playing center half. That, uh, that I think could have had a nice career similar to Tim Ream. Tim Ream was of that era, and he's one of the guys who did get out in that period. Um, I know uh, people who watch the Premier League like to make fun of Tim Ream. He has been a really good championship-level player for many years, and uh, I'm, I'm proud of the guy. He, he developed in MLS. He developed in St. Louis. And uh, I, I think has had a, a good professional career. Um, now you see this reversal where uh, MLS now thinks that they can they can cash in on guys quickly. I mentioned Reggie Cannon uh, going to Boa Vista. I f- forgot to mention Brian Reynolds, uh, also of FC Dallas, moved to uh, to AS Roma, you know, big club, mm-hmm. big club in Serie A uh, in this window. I, I think MLS now is seeing it as more of a marketing opportunity to say, hey, we put a guy on, on – uh, uh, we sold the guy to AS Roma. We sold the guy to Werder Bremen. We sold the guy to Bayern. And, uh, I mean, they're going to go to town on the Davies thing forever, as they probably should, right? I mean, that that's uh, – uh, an exceptional player. You can argue, okay, MLS uh, hasn't hit on that many great players, and you know, just law of averages, you will eventually develop a player of that caliber. Uh, but they're going to they're they're going to use it in their PR for the next ten years. Alfonso Davies was developed in Major League Soccer, um, so I think they're now thinking that's the marketing angle: is that you move these players on quickly to Europe. Uh, Davies is one of the best left-sided players in the world right now with Bayern, and. Uh, you can't deny he came from MLS. Now, how does it affect their television ratings? Do they say, okay, you could be watching the next guy who starts uh, as the left back the next time Bayern wins the Champions League if you watch MLS? That's a harder sell, right, to, to get TV yep. viewers based on that? Um, I don't know. But I do, I do know there are 
MLS fans who were excited about this, saying, yeah, it's really cool. Brian Reynolds is going to – Roma was interested in him. They went out and got him. Chris Richards, another guy who went from Bayern, he, uh, or you know, via Bayern, went from Dallas, uh, just moved to Hoffenheim, and he's gotten some first-team appearances with Bayern, and it's looked okay. So um, it, uh, there, are, there are MLS fans saying they're going to want Swansea now. Um, yep. So yeah, I guess maybe, maybe there is some something in it for them, I guess. I mean, yeah, just no. just as as with life, there's there's positives and negatives. The positives are that these players uh, are going to bigger clubs that may have better coaching, better training, better opportunities to, to improve. Uh, the negatives, there's no guarantee that these players are going to get playing time. And, and I mentioned the Swansea example as, as one example. Uh, I think I think Jordan Morris would be okay being a super sub and then trying to get into the team and trying to work his way in. But there's no guarantee that, that him or, or Paul Ariola they're definitely not going to get starting time anytime soon unless there's injuries or, or loss in form or you know, in terms of the, the current players. But it, it is one of those things, just as with life again, it, it could be one of those things where these players get opportunities and it could be a good thing. Uh, for some of them, it might be a step backwards. But but for Major League Soccer, I mean, for me, I, I'm hoping that uh, a deal is going to be done in this next few days to the next week. The season starts up as normal and we progress from there. And hopefully the, the players union steps in and, and kind of really I mean, tries to to use their leverage to to try to get some some fair uh sharing of 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 the money in terms of what's available but uh i i'm hoping everything's going to be okay and i'm hoping cuz last season was uh it was all over the place in terms of um um the the season it was very unconventional mls is back i thought was great i really enjoyed that and i'd like to see mls come back uh on schedule and everyone be happy and it's possible right i think i think mls owners the feeling is is that they're being very tight very 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 stubborn they're they're not really uh working very closely with the players union they're they're being very uh with blinders on really kind of you know not listening to the public not listening to the fans not listening to the players um and and the jeopardy there is is that if they continue down that that path it's that's not a positive by any means now Kartik, let's move on uh in terms of what we've been watching from this past week, um, just uh, just a couple of things I'll mention from my side. I did watch uh, Sky Sports Transfer Deadline Day on Peacock, and I had that on in the background for about probably four or five hours. Um, I know me me personally watching this on Peacock, it felt like uh, they were trying to bounce a dead cat. It was it was very forced. There was nothing really happening. Uh, they've made this into this, this big song and dance, this big show. And for years and years now, it's been no, nothing's going to surpass uh, the days old of uh, Robinho signing for Man City and all, all kind of the Harry Redknapp uh, last minute deals type of thing. So, so for that, um, I was yeah, not entertained, <laughs> which is probably a good thing in terms of kind of the current financial situation and with everything happening. But, but for me, it was a very lackluster transfer deadline day. I didn't expect much more. What about you on, on the transfer deadline day? Well, you weren't entertained by Redknapp, uh, Harry Redknapp missing the t- turn from the M3 and, and 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 finding his way to the Sky Sports studios and staying. <laughs> I mean, that's how dead it was, right? They were they were making a big deal about that, and then Peter Odenwengi was uh, texting uh, Jim White to say, "Hey, say this to Har- Harry Redknapp." So it was like 
they they remember the days of of, of your of lore for for them, right? Which yeah. were uh, the Red Knapp days and Oda Wengi trying to force it, force to move the one year, um, and so they're bringing these characters from the past <laughs> back. Uh, and then, in fact, I mean, it, it, it devolved into a discussion where Red Knapp, Harry Redknapp, saying, you know, did you know Peter Oda Wengi? Which, by the way, I didn't know. He's a really good golfer. I mean, he's a he's like a top amateur golfer. He, he, he's he's almost good enough to go professional and Jim White didn't know that either that was the kind of discussion they were having um yeah to me it was a it was a it was a waste uh, they uh, the thing i was curious about with peacock i appreciate that they brought us all this coverage i don't appreciate that they had um at 9 a.m., you were watching 9 a.m. Eastern time. You were watching one feed, and then at noon it cut out, and you had to go to another one, and then same thing at 3 3 yep. p.m. Yeah, um, yeah, same quite, same here. Yeah, that was quite strange to me. Also, I have to say, I, we we've been very critical of NBC Sports on this show. Um, I think that because nothing happened, and this is maybe another good good thing about nothing happening. Um, I think it is a good thing in the bigger picture because there needs to be fiscal constraints on these clubs in in England, and and this is a this is a terrible time, um, and I, and I, I don't didn't want to see much player movement, and I'm glad we didn't see much. But Rebecca Lowe, Robbie Earl, and Robbie Musto had a Renaissance Day. They had a comeback day. It was like NBC three four years ago. That they because they didn't have sensational storylines to talk about where this guy might because he by the time they went on the air at four and I had um, both the Peacock stream on of the uh, of Sky Sports and then NBC SN's uh, show because they um, they didn't have all the rumors had petered out by then the only thing we were really watching was was Josh King going to go to to Fulham or go to Everton they ended up having to talk about all twenty teams. They ended up having to talk about what was actually happening on the pitch, what was happening in the dressing room, the job David Moyes was doing, the job Graham Potter was doing, the job Dean Smith was doing. What do you think about how this one's playing? How is this one fitting in? Uh, how, how, how did Aston Villa cope with all the absences from COVID? They talked about the things in that two and a half hours they were on the air that I keep complaining they don't talk about on match days. And so I was blown away. And when they're dialed in, they're good. Rebecca was back to her best. Mm -hmm. And she was she was showing off her knowledge of the league and her awareness of what was going on in the league. Musto was being analytical like he used to be and getting deep and digging deep. And then Earl had some really good commentary. In fact, Earl had some good commentary when they brought him on Sky Sports. They brought him on for a few minutes um, uh, during uh, one of the hours before NBC was on the air. So uh, I thought it was a really good comeback day for NBC. Believe it or not, but but that that's sh- one positive from the transfer deadline day. But 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 that should be the status quo. I mean, yeah. was there anything in those what two hours? I think it was, they were on two or three hours. Was there anything that you learned? You're like, wow, I did not know that. No, no, that. But it was refreshing to say, okay, I'm not going to have to. Uh, uh, turn on ESPN FC with Dan Thomas tonight to get this analysis. Or the last transfer deadline day, uh, ESPN FC had this great show with Kay Murray that uh, effectively blew NBC out of the water. Kay hosted it and had the, the whole array of guests. This time, ESPN wasn't able to do anything because there was a snowstorm in Connecticut. I think everybody's probably listening is aware of um, how bad the weather was in the Northeast on Monday. So um, NBC did have their three uh, – had Rebecca, Robbie, and Robbie in. Uh, but I, uh, I think 
Bristol, which is closer to Hartford, they were snowed out, so they weren't able to. Uh, in fact, Dan Thomas, they pre-recorded the show early and said, hey, uh, no transfer deadline stuff. We'll have to get to it tomorrow because of the weather. So that actually um, maybe was a, was a great break for NBC. But did we learn anything new on the show? No, but it was it was refreshing to to, to hear that um, that Robbie Musto and Robbie Earl do have some understanding of what's going on at Fulham. They do have some understanding of what's going on at Newcastle. They have paid a little bit of attention to Southampton. It's just it never seems like they have when when they're actually covering Fulham or Southampton or Brighton matches. All right, let's move on to recommendations for this weekend my recommendation yes i'm biased on this one but even if i wasn't biased on this one i would still recommend uh friday's game which is swansea city against norwich city it's going to going to be on uh espn plus 315 eastern time this is uh, of course the championship you've got norwich in first place swansea city now in third place separated by five points um but this has been a really interesting championship uh, race because yes you have Norwich that's uh, further ahead but you've got Swansea, Brentford, Reading, Watford you've got a lot of teams in that top five top six they're really pushing each other and this is a this is the bi- biggest test this season for Swansea City uh, they played a couple of months ago at Carrow Road and it was a I think a nil-nil tie a very close game I'm expecting this one to be a really fun ma- match to watch. Uh, Jordan Morris might get some playing time. He may, might c- come on as a sub in the second half. Uh, Paul Ariola has not arrived yet in the UK, I think, in terms of quarantine and having to go through all the steps necessary to, uh, to, to fly over to the UK and get tested and everything like that. So he won't be playing. But um, I'm looking forward to this one, Kartik. What about you? Yeah, so I'm going to go... Uh, we're, we're recording this Wednesday night. Uh, I, I know this is risky. A lot of you might listen after, but I, I absolutely think that the biggest matchup uh, for me to watch is on Thursday, Thursday afternoon, which is going to be uh, Chelsea and Spurs. Spurs are in this horrible funk. Uh, I, I don't know if Jose has completely lost the side now. Uh, it seems Ndombele has played better, but... There was some fear that once the goals dried up from Sun and Kane, they were scoring at such an incredible clip. They couldn't have sustained that the whole season. And historically, no team that's uh, that's even in the top six or top eight of the Premier League is as reliant on just two players to score all their goals, right, as Spurs have been this season. I mean, generally, those teams that are reliant on two guys are in the relegation fight. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, now those goals have dried up. Kane is hurt. I... Uh, I, I want to see how Spurs adjust. Chelsea, to me, are a big story. I know it's very cliche-ish because, um, because management, their, their new manager bounces all the time. I, I admit, and I've, I think I've admitted this, those of you who follow me on Twitter, and those who followed me on Twitter five years ago know I, I, I was a Tuchelista at one time. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I, I soured on him uh, because of the way it ended at Dortmund and then certainly PSG. Um, he didn't do anything extraordinary there. I don't think he did badly there. I mean, in Champions League, he did better, right, than the predecessors. But yep. um, I've already seen changes, some interesting things, in my opinion, from what I've seen. 
uh, from Chelsea in these first two matches, the use of Hudson Odoi, uh, the, the 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 kind of uh, way he, he, he he's uh, he's deployed Kovacic in the midfield, uh, and and Jorginho more logical than what I think was happening under Lampard. So I think Chelsea's on the up. Chelsea potentially still could get into the top four. Uh, both Leicester and Liverpool seem very shaky at this point. Uh, actually, I, I guess Man United lost to Sheffield United recently. So I think the door is still open. Mm-hmm. I, 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 for one, thought that Leicester was not going to be shaky. But now, uh, indeed, and Vardy are hurt and they're, ha- they're having some trouble. So I think that that match is the most fascinating matchup in any league this weekend for me. Because uh, to me, and it's a huge uh, Rivalry. We know how big a rivalry that is, and yep. it's Chelsea against Jose. Tuchel and Jose have actually never played in league play. Uh, for all all the places they both managed, they've never been in the same league at the same time. So that's another fascinating thing because you've got in Tuchel a manager who is one of the most progressive managers in terms of Gengen pressing uh, movement, uh, having uh, midfielders push into kind of false nine positions, attacking positions, uh, cover, uh, occupy space and wide players cut inside. Uh, and you have Mourinho, who I think is is back to the worst of Mourinho, uh, which is the opposite of what I just described of Tuchel. So to me, it's it's I think it's one of the first, first, most fascinating matches of the year, actually. This whole week has actually been a really good week in the Premier League. I, I've, I've enjoyed it more than usual in terms of just the matches. A lot of uh, upsets, a lot of uh, a lot of goals, uh, red cards, far decisions, uh, yeah. controversy. You mean it's uh, upsets? I mean, it, you had a little bit of everything. And actually, I was watching this. This week would have been a good, great week uh, for Peacock to have goal zone. Just because oh, yeah. there, there were so many overlapping games and so many goals going in at the same time. I had two two screens on uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday trying to catch up on the... I mean, trying to watch them live, the 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock Eastern games. Yeah, really entertaining. Some, some really... Uh, I don't think there's any goalless games. I think it was just goals galore everywhere. Yeah, and not only that, I think uh, the thing that, that I'm really uh, happy about, at least from my own my own perspective as an analyst of the sport, Chris, is that I, I've been saying all season, I know you have too, you have a fondness for him because he managed Swansea, but I've been saying all season long, look, th- this Brighton team is way too good to get relegated. Just watch them play, which is part of my frustration, I'll admit, with NBC. They never seem to give Brighton the credit, uh, but, but a lot of other writers and analysts around English football have that, look, this team is, they're playing too good to be relegated. And I was always of the opinion Potter had a plan in mind, right? Just keep playing, keep mm-hmm. plugging away, keep doing the things you're doing. Eventually, uh, you'll be so in sync um, that that you'll start winning some matches. And now that's happened with them beating Spurs and Liverpool on the bounce in, in two su- successive matches. And the Spurs match was as dominant a match as I've seen anyone play in the Premier League recently who isn't Man City, right? I mean, it was 1-0. I, they, maybe they should have scored more, but they were all over them, and that was really good to see. And then the other little aspect for me that I'm pleased about, everybody knows I'm a big David Moyes fan, and I'm always defending him. I, I think uh, I've been vindicated on that finally. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to question West Ham's decision to bring him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Uh, now my question is, can West Ham stay in the top six? I, 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 we said it on this podcast a week ago, right? I felt like Moyes needed one player. That's yeah, it. Yeah. He got that guy. Jesse, got Lingard. Jesse Lingard. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to stick stick around in the top six. They might end up uh, – let's see what Tuchel does with, uh, with Chelsea. But if Tuchel doesn't get Chelsea really firing, West Ham is going to end up being the top team in London this season, in my opinion. At, Unbelievable at, when you think about it that yeah. way. Yeah. At, at the same time, too, you now have a relegation fight. So you have Sheffield United picking up points. You have West Brom dropping points. You have Fulham uh, kind of right there. Brighton pulling away. Uh, Wolves won. So that kind of brings them up a little bit. You've got Newcastle that got some points. Crystal Palace dropping. So, so you, you now have a race where, say, two weeks ago, it would have been, okay, Sheffield United dead and buried. Uh, West Brom before uh, Big Sam came in, pretty much dead and buried. Fulham not looking good, and um, that 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 is going to be a whole other uh, arc right there between now and the end of the season to to keep an eye on. Yeah, and and uh, just for those who who haven't looked ahead, uh, peaked ahead, Sheffield United end the season. Uh, I can't I can't remember if these matches are away or at home, but they end the season with Newcastle and Burnley. So that's they could possibly pick up, and maybe by that point Burnley is safe. They could pick up six points in the last two matches. The way they're playing, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I think one of the things that that people notice was Sheffield United's goal difference was so good for a team that had not won a game uh, right. a, a couple of weeks ago. So now they're picking up points. Now they're winning games. We know how good a manager Chris Wilder is. Uh, I think they have a, a, a shot at it. I don't think West, I think West Brom are done. Uh, sorry to say that for Big Sam. And, and in terms of Fulham, uh, it, the frustration is they, they played kind of not quite like Brighton, not quite as good, but they played good football and they're not getting results. So maybe it, it is what it is. Maybe they're, they're, they're star crossed, but um, yeah, it's going to, it's the season that I, I've been very critical of the Premier League thus far this season. You're right, Chris, it's the last 10 days or so. I would say it's really picked up to the point where I'm probably more engaged in it now than I am in Serie A or the Bundesliga. Whereas if you had asked me two weeks ago, I would have said the opposite that ah, Premier League is on the list for me. I think I think part of it though too is also the cup competitions. So Coppa Italia, while entertaining and and, and good to follow, uh, I think in some ways it's taken away a little bit from the Serie A. And then you've got uh, Copa del Rey. I mean, I don't think that's impacted the La Liga as much. But in terms of momentum, in terms of you I mean these these teams playing in the Premier League, playing on you I mean Saturday and then coming again and playing on Tuesday, just that the these fixtures coming so quick and fast, uh, it is one of those things that you get hooked and then you keep on watching. Versus, I mean, the worst thing of all for all soccer fans is the international break, where it breaks the momentum of everything, and then it's two weeks of basically. Uh, you mean games that that fans are really not into, not really excited about as much until it, it becomes the the World Cup or the Euros or or the Gold Cup, etc. But yeah, for me personally, Kartik, I would not count uh, Big Sam out yet at West Brom. I still think uh, they actually in, in the game against Sheffield United were unlucky. I thought it, they had a good chance to to kill that game off. Uh, and especially playing on a rain-soaked field, anything can happen. Um, West Brom could have easily won that game, but I don't think it was anything to do with Big Sam's. Uh, the way he had the team lined up, it just was one of those games where, you I mean, anyone could have won that game. 
Last point, Robbie Musto. Okay, so one thing he did say that I agree with that I've been saying privately, but again, was surprised to hear it on NBC because they don't talk about this stuff anymore, but they were trying to fill the time. Musto said, look, uh, West Brom Village had, had kind of gotten a lot of good, young, creative players on that team, which is the same thing he did at West Ham, right? And and now uh, uh, Moyes is taking advantage of that. Pellegrini wasn't able to take advantage of it. Moyes has. Um but so Bilic had, had, had a clear way he wanted to play. Why Sam isn't willing, considering he can't lock, he seemingly can't lock down the back the way he normally does with teams he manages, why he doesn't just give it a go with the players, the Pereiras and the Dianganas and the other young, creative, exciting players uh, that, he, uh, that he inherited from, from Bilic, um, Musto doesn't, doesn't know, but he, he basically wrote, wrote Sam and, and West Brom off and I'm, I'm kind of doing the same because he does have there is a potential template with that side and I've always said I think Allardyce is more pragmatic than analysts give him credit for but in this case he's showing that maybe he's not maybe they were right and I was wrong if, if, if we think back though Kartik and think of some of uh, Big Sam's biggest ris- rescues taking teams that were dead and buried at Christmas and then doing the impossible or seeming seeming to do the miracle and keep them up oftentimes it was that January transfer window where they brought in yeah. some key players Sunderland's probably the, the best example I can think of that comes to mind where they brought in some really really good defenders that stabilized the center back position West Brom as far as I know I, I can't think of any major signings they made in this window to really help Big Sam so um it is going to be difficult it, it probably it will come down to the wire um but uh, I guess he's in a position where he's just have to do the best with what he has he, he's got no other option they're actually they're actually a decent yeah. side I mean I, I think uh you mean West Brom itself but uh let's move on though too because I, I don't want to make this the West Brom podcast uh, no no offense to the, to the baggies out there all right, let's move on to TV streaming news. And this this one was going to be our um, major topic of the week this week. Um, but we don't know the final details yet, but we do know quite a lot. So so let's start with this, uh, Kartik, and I'll have you kick it off. Yeah, so um, CBS and ESPN are going head-to-head, as you reported earlier in the week, uh, to try and win the U.S. TV streaming rights for the next three seasons of Serie A. Uh, ESPN is obviously the incumbent. They're trying to renew the rights, uh, which expire at the end of this season, so in May, uh, assuming the season ends in May. CBS would love to get the, the rights to boost their offerings to Paramount Plus that launches on March 4th. And obviously, uh, we've talked about Champions League being on that Paramount Plus uh, platform. The new rights deal for Serie A would be for uh, the 21-22 season to the 23-24 season, and it'll include three matches a week that are uh, available in Italian. Um, in the past, RAI Italia had uh, held those rights uh, separately uh, to show uh, here in the U.S. So uh, that will be also very interesting because that could also uh, attract uh, more of an audience uh, and a different audience. I've noticed that ESPN, Chris, has been very aggressive in pushing the Spanish language offerings that they have for the Bundesliga, uh, which, uh, which, by the way, Fox didn't have. So if you want to criticize Fox for not doing that, uh, the Spanish language rights were with Univision when uh, uh, Fox had the uh, English language rights for the, uh, for the Bundesliga. But they've been very aggressive about the bilingual side of the Bundesliga. And uh, I, I think they might be willing to do the same thing with, uh, with, with, with Italy if they retain the rights. 
Yeah, this is this could be a huge deal for CBS. So CBS uh, going in there strong, trying to get the rights to Serie A, trying to take them away from from ESPN for the next three years. Uh, we should hear something pretty soon. Uh, I've checking with my sources, uh, trying to find out, find out more details on this one. Um, nothing's been completely agreed yet, uh, but Serie A will be meeting on Thursday uh, to discuss uh, the the rights packages. The, the thing that's different about this one, too, is that uh, Serie A is selling these rights directly. So in the past, they would, they would have worked with an agency such as uh, uh, IMG to go ahead and have IMG then go ahead and meet with all the different uh, TV networks around the country and, and talk to them about uh, I mean, all the wonderful things that Serie A offers. In this case, they're actually doing direct deals, direct with the broadcaster. So that gives a little bit of uh, advantage to CBS over ESPN. ESPN has often dealt with IMG uh, on different deals, such as the FA Cup, such as um, the last Serie A deal, uh, etc. But uh, we should hear some news soon, uh, hopefully maybe even before the next podcast. But as soon as we get details, we'll post those at worldsoccertalk.com. Now, speaking of ESPN... And this is something new that came in this week. I haven't had a chance to check it out yet. But ESPN Plus has added a brand new documentary. It's a uh, doc- documentary short. So it's a short film called The Game. And it's by, a film by Roman um, Hadel. And it's now streaming on ESPN Plus. And it is a documentary that provides an intimate look at the intense pressure referees face on every call and what it means to earn respect on the field and direct the energy of an entire stadium. So if you're somebody who wants to find out what it's like to be a referee, or if you're a referee and and you want to go ahead and uh, watch this video and watch this documentary to learn more about the insides of um, of being a referee, of playing, you know, refereeing a game. Check it out. It's called the Game, and it's on ESPN Plus. And I haven't watched this yet, Kartik, but um, I, I'm guessing. I always feel sorry for referees, whether it's at high school level, travel, uh, professional games, amateur games. I mean, they get deal with so much abuse, and I'm sure they're used to it. But uh, it's it's a tough position. But what about for you? Would you watch this one? Yeah, I'm actually planning on watching it. Um, I've talked to someone who has watched it, uh, who is a referee or has a referee's license. And uh, uh, it follows uh, one of the best referees in the Swiss uh, Super League in the, in the first division in France, uh, in Sw- Switzerland. Um, and uh, he said it was phenomenal. It kind of gives you the perspective of refing at that level. The guy I, I've talked to who watched it is not, um, he's not refing at that level, right? He's refing uh, amateur games in, in, in South Florida, but um, it, it gives you kind of the, in, the, 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 uh, the, the entire picture of the pressures they face also from, from supporters and from the players and kind of the, the um, split second uh, decisions that have to be made. Uh, it, and uh, it's a short documentary, so it, it's uh, definitely worth watching. I am going to watch it. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a referee in the Swiss uh, First Division, uh, one of the top referees in Switzerland that they follow. So uh, really interesting and, and really impressive that they got this, this level of access, the filmmakers. All right, TV ratings. We've got a few this week, and uh, the first up is Arsenal against Manchester United uh, last Saturday on NBC, Telemundo, and on streaming. And this one averaged 1.56 million viewers. It's the biggest audience since the Manchester derby from last March. 
Also in Liga MX, you had uh, Chivas against uh, Juarez, and that averaged uh, 845,000 total viewers on Telemundo also last weekend. And then Sunday, you had the USA against Trinidad and Tobago game. This was live on FS1. That had uh, 258,000 viewers. So we can see Kartik already. I mean, yes, this is a a meaningless friendly. This is a friendly that doesn't feature any of the A team of uh, the US team. If anything, it might be a B team or, or a C team. It, this is I mean, almost all MLS players. But still, it's still the US men's national team and 258,000 viewers for a game in prime time for, uh, on FS1. Still disappointing. There's still that um, low morale uh, kind of a, a lot of I think the US has lost a lot of fans. I think a lot of fans lost belief in this team. Uh, it's going to take a while to get those fans back. And I have to admit, I, I, I uh, did not realize this match was taking place or guess I guess I did realize it was and then forgot. Wait, wait, wait. It was another time. With Fox's uh, awesome job at doing PR and, and publicity, you, you didn't hear about this game? No, so I got an alert on FootMob on my phone one uh, at six fifteen or something on Sunday, and I've just watched. Uh, I'm trying to remember what matches were Sunday in 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 Germany and Italy and in, in the Premier League, but I just watched. Uh, I think mean, I watched Barca and Athletic actually. Bill Bow right. just gotten done with that match. Got the alert. I didn't know if the match was on ESPN or Fox until after the fact. I was like, I'm not going to watch this. I had forgotten about it, and that's. That's the level of my interest in, in the U.S. men's national team now. Um, and then, I guess after the fact, I saw they won nine nil or whatever they won by, um, and uh, was was interested in seeing that that, that the, the who scored and, and what happened. But uh, I, I even I. I forgot about the match and had no interest in it once I was reminded about it. And again, I had just watched Barcelona play and I had watched the Premier League before that. I wasn't terribly interested, Mm -hmm. but still, uh, that's a level of apathy from me that I don't think I've ever shown towards the U.S. Yeah, and it's tough too because, I mean, they won 7-0. It could have been been 14-0. They look good. They looked energetic, good movement off the ball, good energy. Um, but the challenge is, if I'm Greg Berhalter and, and I'm looking at my players going, okay, these these got some good up-and-coming players coming through the system here. When you play a team that is at that level, that's that's that that team was abandoned, uh, the actual federation was abandoned, You've got um, they haven't been able to play many games that uh, Trinidad and Tobago have played, have been against uh, friendlies, against local teams in Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, this is not the same TNT that was in the World Cup in, in several years ago. So, but when you play teams that are not at a good level, no, no, no disrespect, but they're not at a good level right now, it's really hard to judge how good these players are. Uh, yes, it builds confidence. Yes, it um, takes the pressure of, of uh, Greg Berhalter. But I, I, I think it's it doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't tell you. Yeah, the only thing I know is that they played a Wales uh, team without a lot of Wales as top players, and they couldn't score in that match. So there were people raving about how well the U.S. played in that match, and have said, "Oh, look at the young talent." But the bottom line is, they didn't score in that match. And maybe you and I know the Welsh team a little better than most Americans, but especially you. But yeah, I was just pointing out who didn't play in that match for Wales. Um, and, uh, and in fact, Ryan Giggs was, we know his legal issue. He, he wasn't there for that match. So um, that's all. I, so I can't judge anything on, based on what we've seen from the U.S. Because the only match that would be valid to judge 
I don't think they were particularly impressive in, and they didn't play um, the side that. And it's not their fault, right? Wales, right. Looking at the Nations but, League, and and they had three friendly, they had three matches crammed into that international break. Wales did, so they weren't going to rotate their squad in that match, obviously. And and again, this is not the the fault of the U.S. Soccer Federation, but they were originally supposed to play Serbia. And Serbia, even if it was a B, t- B, t- B team of Serbia, I would much prefer to see how the U.S. did against a team like that. That's more physical. That's I mean, going to give you less time. Uh, going to pressure the ball more. Going to pressure the players more, and to see how they players and, and a different style of play to see actually how they play up against a team like that. And 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 then you would know more about the players that you, that, that you're giving uh, caps to. Yeah, I, I hate to be so, uh, and please don't take this the wrong way, listeners. Um, a lot of the Caribbean countries, when you get into their B teams, they are effectively semi-professional players. And I know this just from my own experience working in the game. So if, if you had played a Serbian B or C team uh, in a non-international window, so it would not have been Serbia's top players, right? <laughs> I mean, Serbia has some big stars in Europe. None of them would have been on that team. Right. But um, you would have played professional players at least. Um, mm-hmm. so I, there's not much to judge from it. Again, it's not the fault of the U S soccer federation. I think they're doing the best they can in this COVID situation. And now it'll be interesting to see as many of these guys have moved to Europe, as we talked about earlier in the show, how that, uh, impacts the squad, because I think there is also the, the point I should have mentioned earlier, Chris, that escaped me, but now it's, it's come back to me in the midst of uh, this conversation, is that I think a number of those guys who went, we've said it's because of the CBA, among other reasons. I think another reason is because they see the really high-end young talent that all these American fans rave about in Europe, the McKinney's, the Adams, the Des, even uh, the second tier behind that, the, the Sargent's, uh, the uh, Chris Richards, etc. And there were guys in MLS who are young who are thinking I better get out so I can compete with those guys I think that that's why you saw a guy like Aronson move to Austria why you saw a guy like Cannon move to Portugal uh, etc and uh, Roberts moved to uh, to um, uh, Italy as I mentioned and in addition a guy like Paul Ariola who has played abroad mm-hmm. uh, started his career at a very high level abroad in, in, in Liga Mekis playing regularly and maybe has stagnated a bit because he spent a few years in MLS. He's thinking, okay, I got into the national team under Jurgen Klinsmann because I was playing at a high level in Mexico. He recognized me. Now, those same guys that were my age then are playing at an even higher level in Europe. I better get back to Europe. So I think this, is, this had a lot to do with the exodus also. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. First up is Damien, and this is in regards to last week's podcast. He says, Yesterday I found myself watching games I didn't care about only because they were on ESPN Plus instead of watching the Premier League. Next up is uh, NP0B1 and says, uh, Recent podcast, how MLS losing young US stars and ratings impact. Uh, great points. Not sure MLS roster rules, but having a minimum of seven American players and rosters to create stars for TV viewing. Other country leagues have minimum players from said country. Can you share your thoughts on that? Yeah, so Chris, uh, I, I actually have been an advocate for this in the past and then found out 
of uh, by by the past, I mean ten years ago, and then found out uh, because I have worked in, in in leagues in this country, professional leagues in this country, that it is then illegal because. Uh, we have a situation in this country where if you are a permanent resident, if you have a green card, you have the same status as an American um, citizen. So effectively what has happened in Major League Soccer, less so in USL, but what has happened in MLS is you have a lot of foreign players who do count as foreign players and count against your foreign player limit the first year they're here, but they get green cards eventually. So you have you you are in a position and and this is especially with some of the better teams i know i can tell you minnesota for example who's a very good team minnesota has several guys um on their books who are foreign players who are ineligible to play for the u.s men's national team they play for their their own national teams however they are green card holders so they count as domestic players then there are a number of players who are dual nationals that are americans but then who are also um uh, for whatever reason, have decided to play for El Salvador instead of the U.S. or play for Jamaica instead of the U.S. They count as domestic players. So, um, the, the the long story short, under American law, because we count um, we count uh, permanent residents, green card holders, the same in terms of employment and employment discrimination and labor laws as if they were U.S. citizens. I don't think this is the case in most European countries. I think most European countries, there's a distinction between a foreign passport holder and a, and a domestic passport holder. In the U.S., the distinction is between U.S. passport holders and permanent residents versus foreign passport holders who might have a work visa. Um, it's impossible to have these limits in the U.S. So that's, that's the, 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 the short version. Uh, I learned that kind of the hard way, advocating for the same sort of uh, caps and limits and, and to guarantee mm-hmm. a certain number of American players who are eligible to play for the U.S. men's national team uh, a certain amount of playing time in, in the league I was working in and, and then learned it was illegal, in fact. Against, it's against U.S. labor law. Hmm. Yeah, so th- probably the best pathway then to uh, to ensure that you have as many Americans play in as possible on these teams is really to focus on developing the academies and, and putting more yeah. money and, and, and resources into that, which it becomes more competitive, though. There's, uh, there's a lot of clubs from around the world that are uh, invading, in quotation marks, um, the, the, our turf here looking for the next stars. Next up is uh, Soccer Thoughts, and he has a question for Kartik. Kartik, is the gaffer going to be annoyed by all of the Americans joining the Swansea bandwagon, or will he welcome them? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question, a question for you, and I should say for Soccer Thoughts, uh, 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 I should mention, uh, because I know he's a fan of the Ukrainian team, uh, that Zinchenko has been playing very well for Manchester City. So uh, I owe you that apology for saying ah, he was surplus to requirements earlier in the year. Uh, it'll be interesting because we saw a, a Swansea bandwagon right when Bob Bradley was managing Swansea, an American bandwagon. I think now um, Ariola is a, a nice player. I think the U.S. national team fans will be interested in him. But more importantly, Chris, Seattle, who has more fans than the U.S. men's national team, uh, has more fans than just about more intense fans than, than probably any club in the U.S. Uh, are they going to really latch on to Swansea? Seattle mm-hmm. Sounders fans. Yep. Uh, you're going to have to have a big bandwagon if that's what happens. I've already seen, I mean, I, I, I will welcome them 100%. I've already seen uh, an uptick in terms of uh, the number of shirts that have been sold, uh, Swansea have sold. Uh, the website crashed at one point. Uh, in addition to that, there's, there's been a lot of questions and a lot of uh, people asking about where can I watch Swansea games. 
Um, so there's definitely a renewed interest or an increased interest. My only thing, so I definitely welcome all of them, all of you. The only thing is, is just I have to practice, uh, preach uh, patience. And that is, is that these players, I mean, he, even Jordan Morris uh, making his debut last weekend and getting a few minutes of play. Uh, there were some Americans on social media complaining, this is ridiculous. How come he's not starting games? And, and and again, that's the reality. The reality is that actually Swansea has a good team. They've been playing together uh, all season. They've got a good chemistry going. It took time to develop that. Uh, a lot of hard work. And Jordan Morris will strengthen the team, as will Paul Ariola. But uh, this coach is a coach, Steve Cooper, is a coach that doesn't change things too often. If things are working really well, he sticks with his team unless there's a, like an injury or, or loss loss in form of one of the players. So I, I would just say be patient. Uh, their time will come and hopefully it'll be um, I mean, great performances and hopefully it'll help Swansea go up into the Premier League. And then, and then, and then at that point, then it's a new, whole new ball game if that does happen because those, those players have an opportunity to sign maybe major deals where they get more playing time, whether for Swansea or, or other clubs. Next up is uh, Bill Reese. Bill says, I wanted to give a shout out to the Brasileiro magazine show on Fanatis. Uh, this program is a weekly recap of all of the action from the Brazilian Serie A, uh, even though the Brazilian league is available on a special subscription tier on Fanatis. The show is free to anyone who creates an account on the platform. The production quality, graphics, music, etc. is super 1990s, but I find that kind of endearing. It's a great way to keep track of one of the world's biggest leagues, one that does not get a lot of English language coverage. And yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, this season, I've tried to watch more Brazilian soccer uh, because of Fanatis, uh, the, the only thing that's missing is, is the fans again. I think the fans would make it more of a difference. Uh, of course, this is any any league nation uh, worldwide. Um, but what I have been impressed by when I've watched the games themselves, I haven't watched the uh, the recap show, but the games themselves, the picture quality is amazing. The actual uh, cameras and everything, it looks really, really world-class coverage there. I was just going to say that, Chris, my takeaway on, on uh, Brazilian football, which I did not get from, by the way, the Copa Lib production, even though the uh, – the, um Commentary was very good uh, on those Copa Libertadores games, particularly Nigel Rayo Coker. He's, he's emerging as a good co-commentator, uh, which might uh, be some someone to watch uh, in the future. But um, the production level of the Brazilian uh, Serie A matches, they're, 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 uh, the, the few matches I've seen this season, are incredible. I mean, they know how to shoot a soccer match. In uh, you know how to shoot a football match in Brazil, and, and camera work. You notice these things after you've watched broadcasts of matches in the U.S. Because we have too many camera operators that uh, here uh, shoot other sports, and then they come and shoot soccer, and they, they quite frankly don't know what they're doing. Next up is Efrain, and uh, Efrain says, uh, "Watch the Arsenal Man United game uh, this past weekend on NBC via Comcast. One of the few matches that they offer in 4K uh, UHD. The picture was amazing, but there was no pre-show, halftime, or post-show. Looks like it was an entirely different feed that Comcast streams, and not an actual channel. Do you know how that works? Why can't they just do the 4K on NBC?" 
Uh, on a similar note, do you know how the whole 4K thing works? Are all Premier League matches produced in 4K and Comcast NBC decides which one to broadcast in 4K? Or, or is the Premier League only producing limited matches in 4K? So it's a gr- great questions. Uh, to answer your question, the Premier League is producing only limited games in 4K. So it's not every game. Um, like each each month, there might be, say, maybe three games, maybe maybe four games tops that are in 4K that are available to viewers in the US. And that would be through either Comcast um, or DirecTV. So if you have a 4K television and you have a 4K package that you subscribe to through Comcast or DirecTV, um, and it's one of the games that, that uh, is televised in 4K, only you, Comcast users and DirecTV users, uh, that meet those uh, criteria can go ahead and watch those games in 4K. Kartik, you have a 4K TV, don't you? Or, or uh... Yeah, I do. And uh, I have not gotten any of the 4K matches. I haven't bought them through DirecTV. But as I said before, uh, I think on a previous show, the, the Apple TV box I have, I, I, I the Peacock signal I'm getting for matches on Peacock, which I'm watching through Apple TV, is much better than what I'm getting normally on the NBCSN feed, which is the, just the regular HD. So even today, I compared. I was watching Everton. We're, we're recording this Wednesday night. I was watching Everton in Leeds and switching back to whatever match was on NBCSN. And the picture quality difference was – it was dramatic. It was incredible. And then you would switch back, and it, it's almost like – Thinking back in the days, you're watching one match in SD and another match in HD at the same time. It was that much of a difference. Obviously, one match was in HD and one match was, I don't know if it was quite 4K, but it was, there was certainly something much better with the pixelation and the, and, and the coloring. <laughs> it, it, it makes me laugh, though, a little bit, Kartik, that it wasn't that long ago that uh, we were watching all games in SD, right? And yeah. then when, when, uh, um, HD began, which I think one of the first channels to do it for soccer was uh, Fox Soccer. Fox Soccer um, launched in HD, and the change was dramatic. The change was so different. Now, if we go back and watch any games in SD, we'd, we'd be like, how could we possibly watch these games? All right, moving on. Uh, Dave Roberts says, hypothetically speaking, would it be cheaper or more advantageous of, say, CBS Sports to buy BN Sports and move it inside of Paramount Plus instead of bidding on the rights of the Spanish and French leagues? I don't know of any of the discussions of the sort, but I'm just curious of your guys' opinions. Now, I think in many ways that um, if this was a Goal TV, as an example, that that could be a possibility where, say, say a CBS hypothetically would go to uh, Gold TV and say, "Hey, you have some rights that we're interested in. Uh, how much would it cost? Uh, would you be interested in sublicensing those rights to us, CBS, so that we can broadcast those games?" And they might say, "Yes, we're interested." And the, the conversations could uh, evolve into, like, "Well, actually, if you wanted to, you can actually buy the company, take all of all of the coverage and all the talent that we have, all the resources and rights, and then and, and then go ahead and show everything like that on Paramount Plus." The reality with Being Sports is Being Sports is a, a major global brand. And uh, it's very unlikely that BN Sports in the United States would say, you know what, we're willing to sell that brand and the rights that it uh, has, such as Liga and uh, La Liga, etc., and then sell those to Paramount Plus. I think it would be one of those things that if BN Sports United States 
uh, went bankrupt or were on the verge of bankruptcy and they needed money desperately just just to stay afloat or just to go ahead and pay off all all the uh, the contracts and bills that they have in place, then it'd be a different situation. Then maybe perhaps at that point, but with being sports being a major global brand, um, having a global deal for La Liga, global deals for other leagues, um, there's no way that's going to happen. Yeah. Original Tom says, I enjoyed the podcast last week, guys, and I am liking the Soccer TV Schedules app from World Soccer Talk. I'm glad you got the Club World Cup on there which begins Thursday. on. Uh, but uh, Tom goes on to say, it's a bummer that it's on Fox Sports 2 and Fox Deportes. So Thursday, uh, the games will start, and those games will be on Fox Sports 2, FS2, and Fox Deportes. But uh, as we go on through the tournament, which is a very short tournament, I think it's only I think a week is all it is. Um, some of the other games, that, I think the Palmeiras game... Uh, and also the Bayern Munich game, and it's likely that the final, I think some of those will be on FS1. A lot of it depends on timing. All right, guys, we want you to have your say. So if you have any questions for us, any feedback, any observations, if you had something that's been on your mind for a long time about uh, watching soccer and television and streaming or, or on apps, let us know. We'd love to read those out. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And original Tom mentions the Soccer TV Schedules app, so that's available for free in the Google Play Store as well as the uh, App Store for uh, Apple iOS devices. And that has... All of the schedules for all the games uh, in the United States and streaming and television. So it's actually really, really, really fantastic if you haven't checked it out already. Kartik heading into another weekend of football from around the world. What are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.